My prayer for today is that we would see the ever-present, steadfast, strong, and mighty arm of Jesus Christ as we look back at the year behind us, and that we would, in confidence and full faith, know that that ever-present, steadfast, strong, mighty arm will be there from now until eternity on our behalf. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing, show us Christ for the last time this year. Let us remember that we all need to see Jesus, that our eyes should be steady, focused on Jesus Christ, and that today would be no different from any other day, but it's special because we are all together, that we would see Jesus together in the preaching and teaching of his word. Show us Christ.
Scripture tells us to make the best use of the time for the days are evil because time is gone like that. Um, just real quick for the uh, membership baptism class, if you're going to come, please sign up. I need your email because I'm going to send out you a file this week um, that is important for the class. And tonight, if you come to service, which I pray you would, and you want a fellowship, not only bring food, bring a game. We'll have some games and have some fun too. So food and games. Well, we're going to continue in our series in Ephesians in uh, spiritual warfare. Last week, we looked at what is spiritual warfare. And, and I had some people ask me questions this week. And so I just want to give a couple clarifications, um, particularly that of the idea of deliverance. What is deliverance? Um, I said that we don't need to be delivered from demons of laziness or uh, uh, you know, anything like that. We blame things on the devil. But I was asked the question, does, do we believe in deliverance, being delivered from something? Oh, absolutely. That every time somebody comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they are delivered from their sins. That's what the scripture tells us. And they are delivered fully and completely. Jesus said, he who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Free. No going back. You know, turning back, that's John chapter 8. So we certainly do believe, but not in a weird laying on hands and casting out way. Does somebody need to be delivered from doubts and confusions about salvation or, or, or think? How does somebody become delivered in that circumstance? The Word of God. The Word of God alone is able to save. The Word, alone, the word of God alone is able to give assurance and confidence 
So we certainly do believe in delivering, but it's only through the power of God. Only through God's power. Not my power, not your power, but God's power and God's power alone. I hope that cleared up. Hopefully it didn't make it more. If you have any more questions, I would be more than glad to answer them. We're going to look today again, as I said, at Ephesians chapter 6. The title for today is The Battle is the Lord's Divine Strength in Christ. Our text is Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 today. I would ask you to stand with me as we would pray. We would read from God's Word and hear from God. Father, we come to you, as we say all the time, Lord, because you alone are our help. You alone are our sustainer. That in you alone are found all the treasures of holiness, all the treasures of godliness. And so we come to you. Lord, we pray that we would not be ones who hew out our own cistern, but rather that we come to you to fill us. And we do come to you today, Lord. We come to you now. Asking, Lord God, and resting on the promise that you'll speak to us. We do need your word planted deep in us. We do need it to bear fruit for the kingdom of Christ. So speak to us. For the glory of Christ we ask and amen. This is what God says to us today, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we looked at last week, the schemes of the devil, we saw in verses 10 to 11, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil. Where is spiritual warfare? It is against the schemes of the devil. If you remember, schemes is the word methodia. It means crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. Crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. We saw that clearly in the garden. Genesis tells us this. There are three truths in which the devil with his schemes seeks to deceive believers. 
And these three truths are stated for us in the very first verse of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. If we go back in time, a while back now, months back, you go back to our, one of our first sermons on Ephesians, we read this in Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. You see the highlighted words there, saints, faithful, and in Christ. These are three truths of which the devil, the horde of demons, seek to cause us to disbelieve, to deceive us in these truths. These three things, being a saint, being faithful, and in Christ, if you remember, are what Martin Lloyd-Jones Martin Lloyd Martin Lloyd says or calls the basic irreducible minimum of what constitutes a Christian. If you want to define what a Christian is biblically, a Christian is a saint, a Christian is faithful, and a Christian is in Christ. The devil schemes to deceive believers that they are none of these things, that they are not saints nor faithful, and because they're not saints or faithful, they cannot be in Christ. Let's Let's go back a little bit and let's look at the definition of what it means to be a saint, of what it means to be faithful, and what it means to be in Christ before we go any further. If you remember a saint or saints, God's Word calls His children saints. It is a designation that God gives, not that we take upon ourselves, but is a designation of which God gives this is a truth we need to understand. When we look or, or feel different or want to believe different or we're feeling guilty or we'll, we'll talk about those things, but it's what we're saying is that what God said is not true. When we disbelieve that if God says we're a saint, we're faithful, we're in Christ Jesus, what we are saying is, God, you are a liar. Because those are designations of which God gives to His children. The battle is always going to be for the mind. And I do not believe, and I, 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 do not, I do not believe, I know for a fact that it's not Joyce Meyer's book, The Battle of the Mind. If you have that book, loved ones, throw that garbage out. Buy for yourself instead God's Word or buy R.C. Sproul's book, The Battle for the Mind. The Scripture always tells us to be renewed in our mind. Have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. How we think matters. The battle is for the mind. The battle is for us to believe what God said or what someone else says. What we may say ourselves or what some outside force would say about us. The battle is always to believe what God said. To disbelieve the designations that God gives to His children is to call God a liar. A saint is someone who, the word is hagios, they're holy ones, they're set apart, they're consecrated. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary on Ephesians write this, the question is, are we truly separated as persons? Are we essentially different from the world? 
This not only means that we are set apart in an outward sense. In other words, my outward actions don't look like the world's. But it means we are set apart because we are cleansed inwardly. That is the real meaning of the word saint. Are you different inside? The grace of God has appeared so that God's children would say no to ungodliness. That's what Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, that is Jesus. By the way, Titus 2, 11 is another great Christmas passage. The grace of God, Jesus Christ, appeared as the bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what it means to be a saint. James tells us this, that true religion, a one who is truly a saint, what they do is they keep oneself unstained from the world. We are saints, not by what we do, but because of what God has designated. And because God has given a designation to us that does cause us to act in a certain way. It should cause us to act in accord with what God has declared. If God said we're a saint, then we need to act like a saint. How about being faithful? It's the word pistos. One who trusts in or belief that trusts. Belief that trusts. A faithful saint is one who contends for the faith, inwardly and outwardly. I contend for the faith inside myself to believe it, and my actions follow it. It's one who contends for the faith inwardly and outwardly and is seeking to grow in their knowledge of the faith. There's another key part of being faithful. I want to grow more and more in faithfulness, in my knowledge of the faith, which is how to live the Christian life, and I want a knowledge of God's Word. Jude, the brother of Jesus, writes this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Do you contend for the faith, loved ones? The one who contends for the faith is one who can be counted on. They're growing in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they can also be counted on. The one who is faithful is committed to God's kingdom. They are particularly committed to the local church in which God has placed them. Are you just a Sunday Christian? Are you just a Sunday Christian? Does God not own every day that ends in why? Is it just Sunday that we're part of God's kingdom? I'm not trying to lay, this is God's word. This is what God says. I'm discipling two people, and in the morning, we were to this morning, we were looking at Acts chapter 2, and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. I understand we are far removed from the apostolic age 2,000 years ago. Life is far different, and we are busier. But if we compare the amount of time that we spend with God's people 
or even with God himself. Compare the amount of times we look at TikTok, the amount of times we look at Facebook, the amount of times we look at Amazon. You understand what I'm saying? If you're doing an honest evaluation and weigh the time between those things, who wins? Who do you spend more time with? I would encourage you in 2024, make the church more of a priority if it's not already. What about someone who was in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, we read this. Notice the highlighted words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, which is Jesus. In Him, that is God, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Remember that word, lavished? I mean, it just pours, just gushes out and over you. God, in His love and His grace and His mercy for you, has lavished upon us wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose of His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. The central person of human history is Jesus Christ. It's not the world leaders of today. They are but pawns in His hand. The central figure of human history is Jesus Christ. And His story is not yet finished. He's told us the end, that He will return one day in glory. And sin and death will be done away with. We have to ask ourselves, am I ready for that day? Because Jesus told us, you don't know when it's going to be. I prayed, come right now, don't you? But will you be able to stand in that day? Will you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will you hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you? In Him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory." This is what it means to be a saint, to be faithful, and to be in Christ. A person can only become a saint, be counted as faithful, and be in Christ Jesus because God in His strength and power works in them what they cannot possibly do for themselves. In other words, you did not become any of these things. I did not become any of these things, if indeed we are these things by ourselves. 
We didn't even desire them in and of ourselves. We didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to be a saint, and I want to be faithful, and I want to be in Christ Jesus. That never entered the man, a man's mind, a person's mind, ever. The natural man wakes up every day and says, I'm going to be my God. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. It's not till God himself, through the hearing of the word of God, affects the mind and the heart of the person to turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that they would love God, obey God. That's a work of God. That's what I'm telling you. This is all a work of God. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We've done nothing. As R.C. Sproul says, the only thing that we have contributed to our salvation is our sin. That's it. The sin to be canceled by the blood of Christ. Remember back in our studies in Ephesians where we saw that at one time we were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless? That's what we were prior to Christ. And what did God do in Christ Jesus for us? Again, it is all the work of God. Ephesians 2, 13-18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once away from Christ. We were Christless, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create Himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Since the divine positions of being a saint, of being faithful, and in Christ Jesus are only the work of God, it is only logical that Paul ends his letter with the admonition to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, and to don the full armor of God, so that the devil's schemes cannot have an effect on the heart and on the mind of the believer. And so we finally get to our text. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong means to make someone able, to give capability to, to enable, to strengthen, and to empower. The word might means capability or strength. As we've already said, God's great might is resurrection power. It's so what we read in Ephesians 1, 19-20. So the strength and this might from God is resurrection power. 
And it says this in Ephesians 1, 19 to 20, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places? There's all kinds of powers in the world, right? There's all kinds of powers that God has. God has creation power. God spoke and it happened. God has healing power. Remember the blind man healed on the Sabbath day. And he, Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk and go, leave. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw the guy carrying his mat in the temple, of all the places in the temple, right? Um, carrying his mat. And he said, what are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? He says, the guy who made me see told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who is this guy? I don't know who he is. The Bible tells us sometime later, Jesus saw the man in the temple. He says, I see that you're well. He goes, don't sin anymore or something worse will happen to you. That's a whole other sermon. But it says, then he went and told the Pharisees, it's Jesus. He's the one who healed me. And then they didn't believe that he was actually blind. Everybody knew that the man was blind from birth, that he was sitting there at the temple begging they call in his parents. His parents say, say, listen, we know this is our son, and we know that he was blind. Anything about his healing, we don't know. And the Bible says they were afraid of the Jews of being kicked out of the church, so they said, we don't know anything about that. And they began to question the man. And he tell them how great God's power was. He says, in all of human history, no one has opened the eyes of the blind except for today. God has healing power, loved ones. He does heal. There's healing power. There's creative power. There's resurrect. There's healing power. But then there's resurrection power. There's resurrection power. God raises the dead. Every time that somebody comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, God raises the dead. You who were once dead have now been made alive in Christ Jesus. God's power knows no limit. Not only does God raise the dead, the Bible tells us Jesus raised himself. You talk about power? He was dead. The old saying goes, dead as a doornail. Died on the cross. He was already dead. They pierced his side up into his heart. He was dead. And yet he raised himself. Isn't that what Jesus tells us? Look at John 10, 18. Jesus talking about his life. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I've received from my Father. This is the power that is ours that is being spoken of here when it says, be strengthened in God's might, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And given the definitions, we could literally translate verse 10 this way, finally be strengthened in God's enabling might. Be strengthened in God's enabling might. God enables the believer to be strengthened in himself. Remember what it says in Philippians 2.13. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when we read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He strengthens you with resurrection power. A believer is strengthened in God's might by receiving and believing the word of God, which makes one wise for salvation and empowers one to resist the devil so that he will flee. Receiving the word of God, believing the word of God, and acting upon the word of God is what causes the devil to flee. James puts it this way. The brother of Jesus puts it this way in James 1, 19 to 25. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's a great New Year's resolution, by the way. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and listen to this, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Do you believe God's word today? Is God's word your only hope and help today? James goes on to say this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We can so, be easy, we can so easily be deceived. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, brings no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. God enables us by resurrection power to believe his word, and God enables us, when that word is implanted to us, to obey God's word. This is, this is what the Bible tells us from Start to finish. The Bible always brings us back time and time again to remember who God is. Remember that God is a thrice holy God and who we are when we stand in front of a holy God. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd writes this, The message of the Bible from beginning to end is designed to bring us back to God to humble us before God, and to enable us to see our true relationship to Him. And that is the great theme of this epistle. It holds us face to face with God, and what God is, and what God has done. It emphasizes throughout the glory and the greatness of God, the Eternal One, God the Everlasting, God over all, and the indescribable glory of God. So God has declared His children to be saints, to be faithful, to be in Christ. That was a designation given to us, applied to us through the power of God alone, through the Word of God. And those are the three areas, three main areas in which the devil schemes or seeks to deceive us to believe that we are not a saint, that you are not faithful, and you are not in Christ. You are not a saint, you are not faithful, and therefore, you cannot be in Christ. Have any of you ever believed that lie? Have you ever, any of you ever struggled with that truth? That I'm a saint, 
The enemy of our soul will try to tell us that we are not good enough to actually be a Christian because we sin too much. Guilt is a weapon that he is skilled at using. There is a difference between false sorrow and godly sorrow. We need to know that truth. Godly sorrow, when we do sin, always produces repentance. False sorrow plays the victim. False sorrow says, woe is me. The danger, when we do not believe what God says, and we feel that we have to perform, I have to be a saint, I have to be faithful, I have to be in Christ. When we say, I have to, then the danger is that we begin to rely on our works and not the merits of Christ. The fact is, we cannot save ourselves. You know what? The fact is, you cannot be a Christian because you sin too much. You and I sin too much. You know why you sin? You know why I sin? Because we want to sin. We're sinners. Save for the grace of God. The fact is, we cannot save ourselves. God has done an amazing work in us. Let's look again at our definition of spiritual warfare that we had from last week, and we're going to add to it. We're going to continue to build our definition of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is putting to death what is earthly in a believer through the word of Christ dwelling richly in the believer so that the Holy Spirit empowers the believer to understand, and here we add, and to believe. That's the faithful part. And to believe and be obedient to God's holy commands. I would ask you today, are you plagued by guilt and doubt? Are you plagued by guilt and doubt? If you have truly repented, do you believe what God says about you? Or do you struggle with what God declares about you? You understand that this is, this is a tactic of the devil to tell you you're no good. Look at you. He's called the accuser of the brothers. We sing a song called Before the Throne of God Above. It says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. The song goes on to say this, when, temp when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. See, the battle is for the mind. It's believing what God says. Do we sin? Yes. Do we truly repent? I hope so. Because if we truly repent, truly turn, there is no guilt, there is no stain. The blood of Christ has made us clean. Whenever I struggle with despair, whenever I struggle with fear, I have a go-to passage. It's the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, chapter 3. I love this passage. And loved one, if you're, if you're dealing in fear and worry, about your relationship with the Lord, and you know that you're a Christian, read this passage. 
Take it to heart. It's this. The prophet Zechariah says this. And then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, which, by the way, is Jesus, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So there he is. There's Jesus, the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ. There's Satan. There's Joshua, the high priest, and Satan's accusing him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And he says this of Joshua, Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, didn't I pull him out of the fire? And it says this, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. That represents his sin. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said, and, and to him he said, Behold, I've taken away, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. You see what God does for his children? He has taken your sins. Your filthy garments. He's removed them from you. And he's put on you clean vestments, pure vestments. A clean turban on your head. This is what God declares about his children. As I said, to doubt your salvation... To say that I can't possibly be saved because I just, I just sin too much, I just mess, I'm, just a, I'm just a mess up, is to call God a liar. What's the scripture say? Let God be true and every man a liar. We're saying that what God has pronounced about His blood-bought children is not true. It is in essence to trample underfoot and treat as an unholy thing, the blood of the cross. It's a serious thing. Do we have times of doubting? Yes, Thomas doubted. Even the apostles. If you read again the ascension of Jesus Christ, he said, and they believed, but not all. We can doubt. But God even responds to our doubts. And how do you get rid of those doubts? You go to the Word of God. You believe what God says about you. You take those thoughts captive. You say, no, this is what God says about me. And you stand in it. And even when those around you who know your sin, who know your past, who know what you've done, and let's be honest, sometimes humans probably worse than Satan, they always bring up the past. And you can say with confidence, no, that is the past. It is washed in the blood of Christ. God declares of me that I am a saint, that I am faithful, and I am in Christ Jesus. And God has declared to me that I have put you in my hand. Who can remove you? Sometimes we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord, just as David did. Remember, David was surrounded. Saul had him surrounded. And the people that come to David are the, the broken, the, the indebted, the angry. It's the worst people around, you know. Not a whole bunch of encouragers are showing up. And it says, 
that in the midst of that, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Loved ones, you can encourage yourself in the Lord today. Do you have a struggle? Yeah. Is the battle hard? Yeah. Encourage yourself in the Lord today. This is what God says about me. It is true because God said it. And God does not lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So to believe the schemes of the devil, the lies of the devil, the lies of this world is to say, God, you are a liar. God, you are impotent. You have no power to do what you say you do. That is not true. God has moved towards you and he has moved towards me with resurrection power. But we need to be careful because we can create for ourselves a sense of false security. Just because I say, God says this about me. The scripture tells us we also still need to test ourselves to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. That's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. The assurance of our faith is found in the fact that we are striving to be obedient to Him. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey me. And as we do, our spirit, the Bible tells us, we can have full assurance of faith that God says, I'm a saint, that I'm faithful, that I'm in Christ, because my spirit, the spirit which God placed in me, testifies with the Holy Spirit that I am God's child. That's what it says in Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, when God changed you through the hearing of His Word, since you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You know what? If you are ever feeling that you have to be perfect for God. We have to strive for perfection. Say, I got to perform for God. Right? You, you are in a spirit of slavery. Because you are putting yourself under a burden of which you can never escape. You can never escape that. You can never escape being per perfect. I got to perform, I got to do. No, God does for you and God enables you and I to do. That's what the gospel tells us. He says, for, we were led by this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, if we're God's children, what else are we? We're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that he, we may also be glorified with Him. How do I maintain that insurance? God does a work in us. God calls us. Out of darkness and into His glorious light, He makes us His saint. He makes us faithful. He makes us in Christ, positions that can never change. And, 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 and how do we maintain that in our minds, in our hearts, to say that I am? Well, we, it's through obedience 
but it's also through establishing long-term patterns of belief and obedience. Long-term patterns of proper belief and obedience are key to standing against the schemes of the devil. Brian Chappelle, and I, Brian Chappelle, he's just awesome. Um, he, he writes in his commentary this, his commentary in Ephesians says, putting ourselves under sound teaching, seeking prayerful association and accountability to others in the church, and serving one another in healthy family relationships nourishes Christ-likeness in us. Following these well-worn paths to godliness informs and aids Christian living. Ours is not a magic religion full of mysterious incantations, shanhakes, and archaic codes, arcane codes. Thus, we have a duty to challenge others and ourselves to be faithful in these ordinary patterns of spiritual preparation. It's, all, it's called ordinary. It's because what we do. Right? Anything that a man does is ordinary. Anything that God does is extraordinary. Ordinary patterns of spiritual preparation if we are to progress and persevere in spiritual maturity as God intends. Our immersion in and integrity with these patterns of Christian association and accountability are the ordinary means by which we grow in godliness. We have a part to play, loved ones, but remember it's God who empowers us to do the ordinary means. It is He who wills in you both to work and to act for His goodness. Three schemes of the devil, or really one scheme, is to tell you you're not actually a Christian. Look what you do. Look who you are. And you say, the devil, you say that you take that thought captive to anyone who would tell you if you know that you're truly in Christ, you take that thought captive and you say, no, by God's grace, I am a firebrand plucked from the fire. And God has put on me pure vestments. And God has declared me to be his own. And you, nor the devil, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all the creation will ever separate me from that designation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your infallible word. Thank you, Lord God, for what you declare about your children. Thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that you have set us apart, called us faithful, put us in Christ Jesus. And Father, may that motivate us to work within the resurrection power of which you've given us, that we would live to the glory of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand, let's close in a song. Praise God. Let us sing together. He will hold me fast.
fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me you all.